0: Hello everyone, welcome to Talking Logistics, where we have conversations with thought leaders and newsmakers in the supply chain logistics industry. It's my great pleasure to welcome today's program, Jason Judd, who is Group Director of Analytics at Rider System. And today we're gonna talk about using data and predictive models to drive labor management solutions in the warehouse. So you've got data, you've got analytics, you've got predictive. You know, these are all terms that we're all talking about and hearing about today, but how do you put all of those pieces together uh, in order to deliver, you know, business value, particularly and especially in, in the logistics type of operation. Well, that's the main question we're going to address in today's episode, and uh, it's it's great to have Jason uh, with us on the program to share his insights, his expertise, and advice on this topic. Uh, so, Jason, you know, welcome to the program. Hey, thanks for having me. I'm excited. So Jason, now before we dive into, you know, this hot and timely topic, um, you know, I'm always curious to learn how people get involved in this industry to, to begin with. And since you're a first time guest and i uh, talking logistics, so why don't we start there? Uh, why don't you briefly tell us a little bit about your, your career path, how and why you got involved with supply chain logistics and what your current role and
1: responsibilities are there at Ryder? Absolutely. Yeah. So it's a different journey for everyone. Um, myself, I grew up on a farm exposed to logistics, even as a boy. And um, I joined the Marine Corps after school after, and uh, spent a year in Iraq doing supply chain logistics there and learned a lot about uh, risk, if you will. And then coming home, I, I spent some time to get a Ph.D. from Virginia Tech in supply chain optimization as a specialty and then worked for a startup company for uh, seven years while we grew that company to be um, um, successful. I grew by tenfold while I was there and then came to Rider with the goal and mission of really organizing an analytics team here. Um, many people take a different route where they, they, they learn it more in the business um, as opposed to traditional training, and both have been really effective in, in my careers. I've interacted with people.
0: Wow. Well, great, great background. I mean, uh, certainly, there's a lot of. I think farm logistics is probably very different and unique than other types of logistics. But certainly, the you know being in the Marine Corps and and being out there in the uh, in, in in Iraq and kind of the the challenges you know there uh, certainly provided some some unique uh, you know experiences. I'm I'm sure. Um, and you know everything else now leading you up to you know to Ryder and and what your your role there is. Um, so, so let's start there now, because I mean, I think when you think about, um, you know, an an analytics team, when you think about data and so forth, um, you know, I think a lot of people have different uh, definitions or understandings of maybe what, what that role is. Um, so, so let's start first at a high level with, with analytics and then we'll we'll get into kind of the labor management, you know, piece. And, you know, I saw this quote that really caught my attention and, and it read reporting is the death of analytics, which, you know, is was, was kind of like, okay, well, what does that mean exactly? Right. So, so what is, you know, analytics and, and what is the role of an analytics team?
1: Yeah. And, uh, I coined that phrase and it makes some people kind of, uh, uh, turn a little bit and say, you know, what do you mean the death of analytics is reporting reporting is often the start of analytics, transparency of information. And the reason why I often say it's the death of analytics is because any typical operation has a huge need for information. And it's moving and changing flavor of the week. And so one thing we have worked to very aggressively work on is create a data model that is pre-cleaned and curated and ready that uh, people can use. So you think about your, your, age, your JDAs of the world and different transportation management systems. They're very optimized for a computer from a data standpoint. They're not, they're not user-friendly at all. And what we do is we clean that data and prep it and flatten it in a way that, while still efficient, is usable by the business. What that then enables us to do is not take responsibility of of reporting. What we are doing is creating self-service reporting. So we give the operations, the tools and technologies to be able to to code free pull that data And build their flavor of the week analysis and what that does is it frees our teams up to be able to then Step into those deeper harder steps of diagnostics and then step deepening deepening into that predictive space And so so by enabling that business into that self-service model It's really freed the team and also the business just loves it The more they can touch the data and use the data the better off we all are
0: yeah I mean I I remember uh being in a, a a kind of a think tank a few years back and and people would talk about how you know they would get all these printed reports uh, you know as they you know in preparation for a meeting but then inevitably you know it was only like 2 days later they would all be reprinting all those reports again because they were already outdated from just 2 days before as they're rushing into the meetings and i think today you know like you just said you know it's it's you're really looking, and you're asking all sorts of different questions all the time, uh, and being able to provide that self-service capability to be able to, as a user, the the end user, to be able to you know explore the data in different you know ways. Because if I'm in transportation, I may want to look at it one way. If I'm in warehousing, I may want to look at it a different way. If I'm a you know an overall executive, I may want to look at it a different way. So I think providing empowering the users, you know, with that you know cleansed data, if you will, and, and those tools is is you know the the direction i see a lot of folks moving toward
1: yeah that's a big deal and for me the the important thing is there there's there's it's highly repetitive you see companies asking similar but different questions frequently and going through ad hoc manual process there and so anywhere we can help make that data stay live and fresh and at your fingertips the better off we are
0: right right so of course you can't have you know analytics without data and, and companies have you know, a lot more data today than ever before. In fact, you know, I would argue that a lot of companies are actually, you know, drowning in data. So, so how should companies, you know, think about data and manage it effectively? And, and what separates the, the leaders from the laggards in this area?
1: Yeah, yeah, this is, this is a, a space that we're all learning and maturing in together. And you look at, you know, just going back, say, nine, 10 years ago into the, into the late 2000s, when we all realized that we didn't have this information and that we could really use it. And um, we went through this maybe naive state into more of a reality state of today where many companies and industries feel a lot of pent-up frustration around data because they look around and say, I know we have this information, but it's so difficult for us to get it. And um, this comes back to what I said earlier. You have to start with, with automation in place. You've got to create a data model that you can trust and rely on and and automate those feeds into it so that you do have a continuous feed. Once you have that, even if you start with something that feels like a step backwards because you already have access to that data, where the difference is you have access to that dependent on some analyst to go do, you know, 12 hours worth of work to get it to you as an executive. Um, We want to change that to where everybody has free full-time access to full transparency. Stepping backwards and automating a single feed that's narrow, and then that gives you a base to expand on to be able to drive to drive further. That's, that's a core starting point. At that point, then, it becomes important to have the right tools and technologies in place to be able to leverage that data well. So um, there's plenty of tools out there um, that allow a user, without knowing SQL, without having uh, deep technical studies and time spent to be able to pull that data and look at it and understand it. We all love our dashboarding um, tools and technologies, your Tableaus, your clicks, your Power BI's of the world, that then help us be able to see that information outside of just the raw data, being able to put it together in a presentation in a way that I, as a human, can start to drill down into layers of, of depth to try and understand. And then from there, that then again goes to that next step of being able to enable us for that, that long pole in the tent uh, how do we how do we drive into that predictive space?
0: Right. No, I think that's a great point. And I think for, for a lot of companies too, you know, another starting point is you know, relative to the data is is understanding you know the the metrics that they're looking to uh, you know drive performance on, or you know what questions they're looking to answer. Right. Because I think part of the problem is that you know they, they, they may have so much data, but some of that data. Uh, maybe they're collecting, but they don't really really need it. And there might be things that they really need that they may not be collecting right now. Uh, So it's really kind of taking that step back and saying, do do we have the data that we need? Uh, And and how do we access it? And if we don't, you know, what ultimately is the uh, objective? So kind of defining some objectives of what you're trying to
1: achieve, right? Yeah, and that really comes into clarity of vision. Being able to see and recognize as both the leadership on an operational side or a technical side to be able to say, How can we leverage this information to get the most value out of it that's possible? And at that point, we can then start very methodically growing that. Because the reality is anything that looks smooth and and, uh, intuitive, the reality is it takes a lot of work to get to that point. So you need to put the time and effort in to create the right vision and direction of what are the KPIs that we need to track? What are the underlying metrics we need to be able to generate those KPIs? And then what are the systems I'm going to use to generate the metrics?
0: Right, right. So, you know, you you you've kind of touched upon predictive and 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 uh, you know analytics a little bit there. So let's, let's go there now. I mean, there's certainly a lot of discussion today about predictive and prescriptive analytics. I mean, where are we, you know, today on that journey? I mean, and and what, you know, how will those capabilities ultimately drive you know additional value?
1: Yeah. And I think that the key word in what you said is it's a journey. You look at where we were ten years ago, five years ago, three years ago, even even where we are now. We recognize this is a landscape that is that is expanding rapidly, and uh, there there are many new discoveries to be made. I like to think about the the dot com boom back in the in the 90s and how we talked about a developer and this very narrow skill set that now we know is this huge broad industry of skills and, and, and technologies that. That, that we're amassed with. And it's very similar, we're going through a similar experience in the data space now. Of What we used to say, well, I'm a data guy or I do data analytics. Now we're realizing you've got data engineers, data scientists, you've got data analysts, you, you have architects, you have all these people together who are putting together the solution. So the space is transforming. Where we're at now, I think, is, is a, a middle ground of a journey. We started out where everything was built raw from the ground, if it was predicted, and uh, it took deep technical expertise. That expertise isn't going to go away. What we have seen is many of these tools are becoming more, more common and familiar, much like SQL is inundated across companies. Um, you, we're seeing the same across R and Python and, and other languages, where a familiarity and maturity is raising first off, and then second off, we see the maturity of the products. We're now starting to see in the last year and a half uh, a, a, a shift into that more code-free, just give me access to the algorithm uh, mentality. And that's going to continue. And what we'll see is in the, in the, from now in the, the, the near future, you know, year, two years down the line, we're going to get to a point where I, the people right now that we think of as data savvy, will become predictive savvy. And then the people who had that, that deep, deep predictive skill set where they really understood the algorithms, they, they, they become much more of a coach and an advisor, just like we see with the data role today, where we see data people that are coaching and advising um, operations teams on how to run. We'll see operations team able to write their own forecasts. And whether it's a simple ARIMA model or going into some clever new random forest or support vector machine, you know, ma- name your algorithm of choice We'll be able to select them from a drop-down, run and evaluate, and choose the best. With that technical coach from the background saying, "Well, you've overfit," or "Well, you've done this." So that blend is going to help us to where we can move faster than we do today.
0: Yeah, I love that. It's the first time I've heard you know that 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 description in terms of you know the role of people in this and the role of teams in this, right? Because we a lot of times you get kind of bogged down into just the 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 mathematics or the you know the technical side of things but i think what you just kind of highlighted there is that you know there's the people aspect of this and the different roles you know within them there's an evolution taking place you know there as well which i think is is pretty insightful um okay so so let's take you know everything that we we you know we've talked about before and kind of now let's apply it to kind of a a real world you know logistics uh, process you know labor management in the in the warehouse and i know your team you know has has worked you know, in this area. I mean, can you share some details uh, on, on what you're doing and, and why focus
1: on labor management? Yeah, absolutely. So I think uh, first off, uh, you know, obviously I work for Ryder, which when everyone hears Ryder, we think of a truck, right? We think about, about that, that, that logistics model um, of, of movement of freight. Ryder runs 143 warehouses across the United States. And we have a a heavy labor footprint. Often um, we are being leveraged as a a expert of being able to drive efficiencies within labor. And so so we are relied on for that. So so what we have brought to the table is a labor management solution that we've, we've homegrown and built ourselves over the years of experience where we use data to be able to help in that warehouse housing situation to drive it. of the different things that we do that that really help set us aside, first is the automation of that data feed, bringing in the right tools and technologies from RFID tagging to being able to bring in automation of of the conveyors and being able to bring in all the different automation that's there, but then being able to take that and provide a wrapper on that that's a presentation of that information. So our automation team, separate from us but working with us. Is building out that automation. We're then coming in and, and helping enable management of how do we leverage those tools successfully. From a, an individual picker being able to get a, a, a KPI of their efficiencies, they get a scorecard every day. We have leaderboards throughout the uh, buildings where as they're walking and moving, they can see both their efficiency, their team's efficiencies. We use that as a as a when we get in for our, our team stand-ups and, and, and post-break stand-ups. Those are opportunities to have a quick discussion and say, Carlos, you're at the top of the board. Why don't you talk to us a little bit about this operation? And, and we help spread those tips and tricks across the rest of the organization to help everyone become more efficient and effective.
0: You know, the, the, you know, that's a great point. I mean, I think right now, you know, there is a lot of focus, from my perspective, on, on, on labor management because of, you know, the, the, uh, uh, the just the labor situation out there in the marketplace, right? There's low unemployment. Uh, you know, trying to retain employees and make them as efficient as possible is, is important. On the other hand, you're seeing a lot of companies and, and logistics service providers as well investing heavily in automation, whether it's robotics or conveyors and so forth. And and I think it's really the marrying of those two things, right? It's the, the actual human labor side with some of the automation and the data, the insights that come out of what's happening there, you know, to drive, uh, you know, ultimately, you know, productivity, efficiency. I mean, I mean, what, do you see, what are some of the benefits that you're seeing ultimately out of the application of, of this data, this analytics,
1: um, you know, in terms of you know, the business value you're getting out of that? Absolutely. From a conservative standpoint, um, we can kind of peanut butter spread an assumption. And we can say that if, if, a, if a site doesn't have a labor management system and we come and put it in, well, we can come in fairly blind to the operation and say with confidence, we can probably reduce our cost by three to five percent. We've seen savings significantly higher than that, up in the the, up in the nine and the ten percent. Of course, it's always difficult to say, you know, what if that was the tool? What if that was the people? You know, what if that was our process? Um, But those are all part of the solution together as a whole. And uh, we have a we have an operation that we've run for the last three years that that we have been able to see an eleven percent savings, which which resulted in in savings of of around a three hundred to $400,000 per year cost savings as a result of implementing a solution that cost us um, somewhere around $30,000 a year to operate from both a creation standpoint and and a continual continual process. So the ROI is clearly high in that that scenario, and that's fairly common. We often will couple our labor management with pay incentive programs, right? Because now we have that transparency. It's easy to say whether it's just a Starbucks card for whoever works the fastest in the next four hours or uh, it, and or whether it's coming into a true full-on-pay performance. We can use and couple those things together to be able to help, help help both from an individual labor standpoint all the way up to a manager, to an executive, to where we're leaderboarding ac- across our sites and being able to say, okay, director of so-and-so and director of so-and-so, here's your two sites, let's look and compare and, and talk about how who can get the most Uh, efficiency gains. And when we find that competitive nature that's in us, along with the transparency of tools, we have the ability to suddenly make ourselves more efficient, more effective. Right. I mean, I think you said, you know, transparency, it's really having that visibility,
0: you know, to, um, you know, going back to what uh, we've talked about already, right? You know, taking that data, transforming it into insights, you know, putting some intelligence around it and being able to um, you know, be able to present that to whether you're a frontline operator or you're an executive and be able to say, okay, where are the opportunities, uh, you know, to continuously improve? Where are, the, you know, who's, you know, where, where are the areas where we're doing especially well and learn from that? And then, you know, where are the areas that are perhaps, you know, falling behind and understand why and, and how, uh, and letting the data and the analytics kind of help, you know, prescribe, if you will, or point a direction in terms of where, where you can get, you know, some, some improvement there. Um, so, so what's next for your team? I mean, uh, you know, where where else can you apply data and and predictive models to to drive value across the value chain? Here,
1: Yeah, absolutely. For us, number one, it's about always continuing to drive innovation from a technology standpoint. We are constantly on the hunt, both from going to conferences and and, uh, some of our different social networks that we're connected with. Where's the next new tool that's going to be help us be more efficient, help us be more effective. Uh, We talked about how, we're, dry, we're seeing the um, rapid movement of tools and technologies in that predictive space, continuing to, to drive that. Well, frankly, I want to continue to drive more technical depth on my team. We have a good core data scientist team surrounded by a strong set of data engineers and data analysts, but we need more of it. And so continuing to expand that depth of, of knowledge and experience, both Broadly within our team, converting our engineers and and analysts into scientists, as well as then sending that out into the field and getting that closer to operations where it doesn't need to be centralized, working to continuously coach and train them on not having us build your solutions, but how they could even build it themselves. For for me, I see that's where we can get the, the most ROI. We can see the most value across the business to minimize our time between ideation to delivery.
0: No, great, uh, great plans there. I love, I love the, um, you know, I, I've got my, uh, my, my oldest daughter is a, is an engineer uh, right now in college. Uh, our, she's just started her sophomore year, and I've got a rising uh, senior in high school. I'm trying to get him very involved, you know, more interested in supply chain logistics and data analytics and so forth. Uh, I haven't convinced them quite yet, but I, you know, I think you know your comment kind of underscores the fact that this is, uh, you know, a hot area, it's an area where there's great demand, and, and even more importantly, it's an area that, you know, you're actually going to deliver
1: some, you know, great uh, value to whatever company you, know, you work at. Yeah. The thing I always remind my team is if you go and look at across any of these top 10 jobs in America based on demand and pay and, and whatnot, we're three of them um, in every listing that they have out there, Right. And uh, knowing that this is where the industry is going is a great place to be. And, and you know, we have internships available for those sophomores.
0: <laughs> I, will, I, will, I will keep that in mind. I, I will I will gently or casually mention it uh, to her the next time I, uh, I talk to her. But, uh, but, but no, that, that's great. And I think the, the, the great thing about this is, is that, you know, sometimes the, you know, the third-party logistics industry, the logistics industry in general, you know, it kind of gets a bad rap. I mean, they're kind of viewed as, you know, trucks and warehouses and boxes and, you know, kind of low tech, if you will, but when you actually really understand the industry, and obviously you're a great example of that, and you, you see the type of purely cutting edge things that you're doing with technology within the logistics industry, I think um, you know, bringing that more to light, I think will, will help attract more people to, you know, to the industry as well. Um, so you know, we're running a little bit short on time here, Jason. So just to, as a way to wrap up, I mean, what advice would you give to, to companies that are just getting started you know, with analytics and predictive models. I mean, uh, what what mistakes should they avoid, you know, from your your lessons learned?
1: Yeah. Yeah, the first thing I would say is you have to find some strong data science expertise, right? If you don't have that inside, go hire it outside. It's hard to find. There are recruiters who can help you, but find at least one or two uh, people that have a a 10-year of experience there. Number one, they're gonna help save you from a lot of traps that you drift into. The number two thing I would say is is that data maturity curve, right? There's a lot to be said about how you have to build and have a foundation in in order to stand on and making sure that you're automating those systems, that you can take your focus off of that curation process and start asking the questions of how do I leverage this? And um, then as you have those few core, people with the technical depth, then expanding the bench. How do I take that knowledge and start sharing it broadly across the teams so that we can, we can start recognizing the right problems to tackle and then, and then taking that clear vision and direction to take very deliberate action for a deliverable and hold them accountable for that, right? We can all get lost in the, in the dream world, world and we have to peel back sometimes and say, what's the level of effort? What's the impact? Let's rack and stack those and pick our best project that has the
0: most likelihood for success. Well, a lot of great advice there, uh, you know, Jason. And, you know, like I always say at the end of all our episodes, we, we always just manage to you know, scratch the surface on, on these topics. And certainly with, with this topic, it's a very meaty topic. We could have a whole a full day conference, uh, you know, just talking about the different you know, aspects of this, but I think you provided some great insights and advice you know, for our audience. So again, thank you for making the time to be with us today.
1: Thank you. I appreciate it. It's been a lot of fun. I enjoy it.
0: Great. I want to thank those of you that joined us. Uh, If you're watching this episode on demand at the Rider website or on Talking Logistics, and you've got a question or a comment for Jason, uh, you can post it there. I'm sure he'll be more than happy to respond via that medium. Again, thank you for joining us and look forward to seeing you in a future episode of Talking Logistics. Have a great day.